Emergency Response Executive Ken Jenkins draws from his years of experience in deployment, logistics, planning, and after-action analysis to take you inside the black box. Now, here's Ken Jenkins. Hey, welcome to the black box. I'm your host, Ken Jenkins. And in today's episode, well, as I told my producer, Zach Lewis, who's also joining us today. Hey. It's, I'm calling this the rant and rave episode. <laughs> You're pretty, you came into the I, studio pretty fired up today. And, and, and I know, and I said, I said to Zach, I said, you know, I don't know if I can really call it the rant and rave episode, but I think for now we're going to go with it because I, I, I'm kind of feeling it today. Well, it's official now. It's on the record. It, it, there you go. We well, have it. Real quick. Thanks for, thanks for welcoming me onto the air. Normally I take kind of a background position, just kind of running the board. So I appreciate it. Thanks for yeah, having me. Zach is responsible for keeping everything, um, you know, on time and keeping the music going and the, the transition positions and everything and the, just the whole production level really good and I appreciate that. Today he's going to um, join me in keeping me tied to my chair because I'm coming <laughs> out of it as we speak. But you may remember, you know, I think we're up to episode, this is episode 11, isn't yes, it? Yes, episode, episode 11. 11. Last time we spoke on the air was episode 4. So yeah, yes, been, ha- been a minute. Hard, hard to believe yeah. we've come this far, but um, when we first started the podcast, and I, and I want to remind everybody that the reason I started this podcast was, and the analogy I gave was... Um, of the black box. In, in the aftermath of an aviation disaster, the black boxes are found, the cockpit voice recorder and the flight deck recorder. And they're once they're found, they're analyzed to help determine what caused the accident and for any safety improvements that need to be made. Right. And so my analogy to that for emergency response, and hence the reason for this podcast being called The Black Box, was to analyze all the various aspects of an emergency response and and really kind of provide insight to those different things but also, you know, ask questions and poke holes in plans and, and things of that nature and get a dialogue going. And so to that respect, the first 10 episodes or so of The Black Box have included accident investigators, uh, risk managers. Um, we've had security experts on and, and, um, and, and multiples of people, family assistance uh, expert who actually lost someone in, uh, in an aircraft disaster. The other thing that I found about aviation accidents, Zach, is that a lot of the lessons that we learn in aviation transcend into other businesses as well. So as we talk primarily about an aviation event, I would ask for those folks that are listening to that aren't from the aviation industry to to look at and examine what can you take from the podcast and the discussion and apply it to your own emergency response plan. And to that extent, I think today we're going to have some of those aha moments that maybe you have thought of. Um, and you say, you know, hey, Jenkins, you know, I've already thought about that. That's great. Or you're going to say, you know, hey, I feel the same way. Um, you know, I'm already pounding my fist yeah. on the table. You know, here we go. <laughs> Oof, wow. So um, let, let's get started. A couple things that are bothering me. And um, actually, I think when we were talking about planning out this episode, I said this was going to be the last piece. But I think I'm going to make it the first piece. All right. And, and that is the question, a question that we should all ask as emergency planners, regardless of what business you're in, aviation or otherwise is the question why why am i doing what i'm doing with regards to my plan and for aviation 
Um, a lot of things we do, particularly in the area of humanitarian assistance or family assistance, stems from accidents that occurred back in the 80s and 90s where they were high, very high-profile accidents, like most people remember the bombing of Pan Am 103. Right. Most remember the explosion with TWA 800 or the value jet 592 that crashed in the Everglades. And there were a number of things that happened in those responses. There were some good things that happened in terms of how the airlines responded. There were a lot of bad things that happened. So what happened after those accidents, Zach, is um, with each of those accidents, there were family advocacy groups that were formed. And collectively, these family advocacy groups in in the early 90s um, through the mid-90s worked together and lobbied Congress um, to discuss the things that airlines did well and the things that they didn't do well. And it wasn't just the airlines, it was it was other federal agencies as well. As a result, in 1996, President Bill Clinton at the time signed the Aviation Disaster Family Assistance Act of 1996. Right. We talked about that in episode three? I, I think it was three. Yes. And the reason that that's important today is because I, I, I had a conversation with someone um, several days ago and with an airline. And they were talking about their airline emergency response plan and in particular family assistance. And and they had some questions about some things that were written in the plan. And I said, well, in order for me to explain why those things may be in your plan, let's go back to 1996 and in the 90s. And the person I was talking to stopped me and said, you know, look, I don't need to have the history of all of that. You know, we have the legislation. We know what we're supposed to do. Just tell me why this is relevant today. And I'm like, Well, I can't tell you how it's relevant today if you won't let me explain to you why it's relevant today, because it has everything to do with the past. Right. How could you explain how something's relevant today if you can't look at how it was relevant back then? Exactly. Yeah. And, and the whole purpose and the catalyst for the Aviation Disaster Family Assistance Act was predicated on a number of things that many of those accident airlines did. It wasn't that one airline did it. Most airlines did it. Mm. And um, as a result, that framework of the emergency response plan was born. And today, most airlines, if not all of them, that fly into and out of the United States use the Aviation Disaster Family Assistance Act of 1996 as their guideline for the humanitarian side. Okay, so this is an important piece of legislation. Uh, this oh, is no oh, joke. Most, most, most definitely. And right. it's not a joke. It's very important that people really understand uh, the importance of of it because the needs of family members have not changed in 20 years. I mean, sure. the needs are, are the needs. Um, and certainly with technology, how we accomplish some of those things may have changed, but the basic needs have not changed. So the history was really important, but I was just dumbfounded when I, and the person just looked at me, just, I wish I could explain what they look like. Cause they're like, I just don't need to know that history. And like, like they weren't kidding, like straight in the no, face. No, so yeah. no, it's not no, important. I, I don't need to know. I'm like, no, you, you do need to know, or you're destined to make the same mistakes again. Right. Of course. And so, you know, you run into it periodically. It's uh, you know, I've run into senior management with some airlines um, and, and even with airports, but primarily with airlines that say, you know, Hey, look, uh, our emergency response team is really small. The, the chance of an accident is really small. Do we really need to have the team dedicated to that? Can't we utilize that manpower somewhere else in the company and then just have them pull the manual off when there's an event? Well, no. I mean, is, is the short answer to that. Your emergency response team is really your insurance policy to make sure that um, further insult to injury is not placed on those that are impacted, family members of those that have someone that died on a plane or the survivor. And for any level of management to sit back and say, hey, can't we just do this? Uh, you know, put people off to the side to do another job. 
and hope we don't have a crash and keep our fingers crossed is simply rolling the dice right and um and 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 looking at adding more insult to injury uh if there is an accident and they're just not prepared. And, and this is concerning because this isn't just applying to the people in your position, the people who have to do the job. This applies to everybody. I mean, oh, anybody it, who gets on a plane, this can apply to. It, exactly. Yes. It, it impacts everybody. Um, and the last piece I'll say about that before we go to break is, you know, I've also heard things such as, do we have to have the gold standard in emergency response? Can't we just meet the minimum of the legislation? And I'm thinking, do we really want to have that kind of benchmark in the aftermath of smoking wreckage at the end of the runway and people have died and in the back of the responders minds are well do i really need to have the gold standard so i i hope folks that are in emergency response i know my my colleagues and friends that do it are all there for the right reason i hope their senior management are supporting them for all the right reasons as well when we come back from the break as we continue with episode 11 i'm calling the rant and rave session we're going to talk about emergency operations centers exercises and drills more with the black box after the break buckle up more of the black box is next on rncn you're tuned in to the black box with ken jenkins on rncn Hey, welcome back to The Black Box. I'm your host, Ken Jenkins. And as I said earlier at the beginning of the podcast, I am calling this one the rant and rave episode. Yes. Yep. Uh, that's our producer, Zach, who has had the um, the fun privilege today of listening to me rant and rave about things, pet peeves that bother me during an emergency. You know, I'd, Ro- I'd roll tape between segments if it was acceptable. Because <laughs> it's just as good. And, as and I'm so glad that you don't do that, Zach. So before the, the break, we were talking about uh, the question why, and, and um, I was sharing with you a story about somebody that didn't understand the history of the Aviation Disaster Family Assistance Act, or basically the why we do things the way we do today. Um, I want to move on to a topic that's near and dear to any emergency response planner, and that's emergency drills and exercises, Zach, and in particularly what's called the EOC, the, the Emergency Operations Center. Right. Now, as somebody who flies on occasion but knows pretty much nothing about mm. the, the, you know, the behind the scenes of airlines, uh, this sounds important. This sounds like a big it, one. It, yeah. it, you know, and, and it is. It's critical. It's the hub of, of all the response activity for that particular airline or an airport or an organization that has some crisis. They're going to have what's called a war room or a command center room or something set up like that where yeah. all the necessary stuff stakeholders come. And and that's all well and good. And it's important that that room get drilled or exercised, if you will. Sure. The problem that I see is that sometimes it's the only aspect of the plan that is ever drilled. And the problem with that is, is and, and what I share with my clients is, there will never be a news article or a magazine publication about how well you set up your EOC on the day of an event. You know, did you get it set up in an hour and were all the stakeholders present? What the media is going to focus on is where the organization, the airline, the airport, the business entity, whoever it is, where they failed. Where did they not meet their obligation? And a great example I can give you in looking at an aviation accident, for example, is when there's a plane crash and you think your loved one might have been on the plane. Mm -hmm. The natural instincts to go to one of two places. You're going to go to the airport where you drop that person off, or you're going to pick them up. So the origin of the of the flight or the destination city of the flight. So of you're course. going to go to the airport. Yes. If you're not at one of those locations, or you can't get to one of those locations, or you you get there but you can't find anybody to help you, mm-hmm. the next place you're going to go is you're going to call the airline, 
and you're typically going to call the reservations number. And what airlines do in the United States now and, and, and other airlines that fly into the United States is they're required to publish a toll-free number where fa family members can call into and get information regarding the accident. So if you already know ahead of time that these are the two primary places where people are going to go, then added to your mix of drilling and exercising your EOC should also be drilling your telephone inquiry center and then drilling the station team that's going to have to respond to those um, questions and, and family members that come to them. And yes, most airlines do that and, and they drill them, but not nearly enough to the capacity where those employees feel comfortable, if you will. What you'll see most of the time is a good 60, maybe 70, in some cases 80% of the time, most businesses, airlines included, tend to drill their EOC aspect first. Right. And, and while that is important, as you mentioned, it is not the only aspect of a response. Well, of course, just the idea of, of, of being a family member in response to something that happened and going to the airline and not being able to find anybody to help you is, is, is outlandish. I mean, everybody should have an idea of what to do. And, and yes, it's uncomfortable, of course. It is but, uncomfortable. But I mean, come on. <laughs> well, and what it's are we not, you know, here? and if we stay, let's stay with EOC for a second because it is, it is important as all aspects of the response are important. But it's not even just drilling the EOC, it's also drilling down two or three levels because typically when there's an exercise, what you're going to see is that the people that are, that you work with on a daily basis from the emergency response department's team or point of view is they're going to call in the departments that they normally are representatives that they work with on a day in, day out basis. But when an accident occurs, there's the likelihood that a good percentage of those people aren't going to be available. They're on the road traveling, they're on vacation, and for whatever reason, not available to you. And maybe they've delegated that ER function for that department to a secondary person or a third person. So it's important that you bring the secondary person in and the third person in to be in the drill as well. Of course. And let the key person that you typically rely on that's probably well exercised and educated on the process anyway, let them sit one out and let the others come in and practice. Well, sure. Even even Broadway stage plays, they have substitutes for exactly. somebody can't that, make it. I mean, that, that are ready that, to go. Right. That's, you'd, that's you'd be amazed how many people in that second and third layer don't get the opportunity to come in and be that and play in that role. I think amazed is exactly what I would be well, in, in that scenario. And it's not just the people's act. It also comes down to the technology. Hmm. So I'll give you an example. Um, several years ago, and we'll talk about two different things here. Several years ago, there was an accident in the United States, and thankfully, there, there, it wasn't a high loss of life, which is, is the good news. But it was a pretty horrific accident nonetheless, and it was worldwide news. One of the things that happened for that airport uh, where the accident occurred is they had an automated notification system that they used to alert the responders within the airport um, about, you know, EOCs being opened up and, and where everybody needed to go and whatnot. And they drilled that automated notification system. I think they did it weekly, if not monthly, or something like that. But on the day of the accident, of course, guess what? It failed. It didn't work. Wow. And now all of a sudden you're to fallback procedures. Well, it's a holiday weekend. So you don't have the team that you would normally practice with your drill or maybe even the secondary team. It was the third team. Not that they're... Um, bad people no of that, course not they're just not as drilled and exercised as your a team right and so the notification was was delayed in getting it out the second aspect to that response was it was a multi-jurisdictional response and there was quite a bit of um it was a wide-body aircraft there were a number of passengers and crew of course on board the flight and 
triage went to take place, and these three jurisdictions came in, and while they had drilled a multi-jurisdictional response, they never drilled down to which triage system of those three jurisdictions was going to be used. So there were complications just, you know, even if it's momentary, it's still a moment you don't have. Right. Why aren't we drilling that far down? And there's a couple complications here because one, the people aren't as familiar with the content that they should be as familiar with the procedure. Two, they know that and they lack the confidence to do a good job because they know they're not aware of it. Right. Everybody's familiar with their own systems and processes, but when it gets to be a multi-jurisdictional approach and then you have to rely on one you're not going to be as comfortable knowing what that one is if you haven't drilled and practiced it and you're not familiar with that system compared to your own system. Right. Does that make in, sense? in response to an emergency, you have to move fast. Things right. move quickly. People need to be able to know what to do next. So if something doesn't happen, who do you blame? Well, I and, mean, and how far up does it go? And and that's the thing is, is you know, you can play the blame game. And sure. in some cases that needs to be done. But Usually there's going to be an after-action analysis that's going to be done in, in a hot wash in, in terms of what worked well and what didn't work well, for example. Um, for an airline, to give you an example um, further, one of the things, and, and this is what I share with my clients as well, is look at the common denominators for any accident. What are the things you're always going to have to do? So one is you're going to ramp up your EOC. The second, you're going to open up your telephone inquiry center. The third is you're going to have to exercise or or, uh, have your station response, right? One of the key components for an aviation accident is you have to verify the manifest, the passenger list. And it's not just the passengers, but you have to verify the crew list. And any airline today, and that's any airline today, regardless of size, should be able to verify their manifest in less than 30 minutes and have it ready to go. You may have some changes to spellings of names, but you should at least know the count and have a basic fundamental understanding of who was on that flight. Right. Because most airlines today, if not all, have electronic gate readers um, or card readers that they're reading the boarding pass and things of that nature. But you'd be surprised at the number of folks that haven't fully ironed out that process, that one simple process that they know they're going to have to do in the aftermath of an accident. It just blows my mind. So I'm going to continue to rant and rave. We're going to do it after the break, and we're going to come back and talk about another aspect of emergency response, and that's outsourcing certain pieces of the response and how to effectively utilize your third-party vendor for uh, some necessary services you may need. More after the break. More of The Black Box coming up. Welcome back to The Black Box. I'm your host, Ken Jenkins. And if you've been with us for the first two segments, you know I'm kind of on a tear today. Uh, I'm kind of venting out some of the things that... that um, what, Zach? Honestly, you're getting me fired up about this. Uh, oh, okay. I'm, ju- I'm just a passenger. Yeah, all right, I, I'm just was watching your face, and I'm like, okay, maybe I'm getting am, a little... I am a writer in your world. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so before the break, we were talking about exercises and drills, and certainly a necessary component it's just making sure that we're really exercising the right things that we need to exercise and that we're doing it with the, the multiple levels of people that need to be involved and that we're actually exercising and, and drilling, if you will, the appropriate tasks. Yes. Um, another aspect of the response I, I wanted to, to talk about for a few minutes is um, vendor, I, I call it vendor response. And for everybody listening, um, there's a, there are a lot of moving parts to an accident response 
particularly in aviation, and I'm sure it's similar uh, with any company, um, whether it's a target that has um, a hacking issue or whatever the issue may be, there are a number of things that have to be addressed. We're going to talk specifically for uh, an airline accident for a few minutes, and whatever you can take from this, please, I hope everybody will. And that is, not all airlines are going to have experts within the airline for every facet of the emergency. And so to that extent, there are times where it's necessary to outsource pieces of the response to a vendor. Right. A vendor. A vendor. A third-party vendor, a third-party company that has expertise in the area that that individual airline or airport or company lacks. Okay, sure. It's a, it's almost like a, a business consultant. Exactly. Okay. So, you know, yeah. we were talking before the break about telephone inquiry centers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are reservation agents. And reservation agents of an airline... Uh, the, the airline may not want their their airline employees to take calls from, from grieving family members. So what they may do, the airline may do, is outsource their telephone inquiry center calls, if you will, to a third-party vendor that has call center provisions. And they'll provide that toll-free number that we had talked about earlier in one of the segments. And the airline is somewhat removed from it. The, mm. the third-party vendor takes the calls and shares that information with the airline, and the airline responds. And sometimes it's to protect the airline employees, and, and, and other times it's because the airline doesn't have the manpower to answer those calls, so they look to a third-party vendor to do it. Mm. Another aspect of it might be personal effects recovery. Do you want your airline employees walking the accident scene, collecting luggage and things that you find at the site? Most airlines don't want to have that right. done. I would think that's not a thing it, they want. Exactly. Yes. It's not. And so, um, you're because you're really in the thick of the response at that point. You're seeing things that you can't take away. I mean, you, once you've seen them, you've seen them. So at this point, you have a third-party vendor, a company, an organization that comes out that is trained and experienced in that kind of work. There could be an instance where, you know, there's contaminants from fuel, from fuel or uh, from the airport rescue firefighting uh, team, whatever it is. Environmental cleanup may be big, and the airline brings in a professional organization to come in and do that for you. Sure. All well and good. So my point is there are lots of different services out there that you can subscribe to. But what I see sometimes, and, and thankfully it's not widespread, but it's still out there, and while I only have – clients that I've worked with and others that I've heard about this from, it bo- this, there's something that bothers me and it's this. Uh, let's talk about the Telephone Inquiry Center for a second. I was working with um, a potential client at this, uh, in this one time. We were doing our kind of fact-finding, getting to know each other. Sure. And um, as I was talking about their, their emergency response and what their plans were and whatnot, we got to the topic of, of the TEC, the Telephone Inquiry Center. Uh-huh. So as we proceeded with the discussion, Zach, I asked, you know, what their protocols were with the vendor, how things were going to work. And they said, well, the vendor's going to do, in this particular case, they were going to take the inbound and make the outbound calls, which is fine. Okay. So the vendor would publish a toll-free number. Family members would call. The vendor answers on behalf of the airline. A lot of airlines have this this service set up, sure, which is yeah, fine. This, right. And the, the, the thing that, that's going to blow your mind, I think, is I said, so – how do you get the manifest, the passenger manifest and the crew manifest to the vendor? Yeah, the list of names. Exactly. Yes. And then as, as information is gathered from the vendor, how is that given to you? And, and the comment was, well, we haven't really ironed out all those details yet. And I said, oh, okay, so is this a new vendor, somebody you just started working with? And they said, no, we've been using them for about four years. Are you serious? And for, no, four, I, years? For, four years. I'm, I'm, and oh I'm thinking <laughs> inside, and of course, this is all I can do to. You know, I'm sure my face, you know, showed alarm and shock and surprise sure. and awe and all those things. 
when do you think this miracle of this process being set up? It's not going to happen the day of the accident. How can you have gone four years and not have have ironed this process out? Yeah. I mean, it it's a basic fundamental part of the emergency. And it's not even I, I don't even think it's information that's that difficult to send. It's a manifest. No, it, it, I mean, well, it, it and it's not. It's it's everything that gets associated with that in terms of the process. And I said to um the person I was talking to, of course, I said, you know, look, and, and I know them pretty well, and I said, you know, first of all, shame on you for for writing a check for four years and not getting anything for it, yeah. except that somebody is going to open their call center for you, but you don't know how it's really going to work. But shame on your vendor for taking your check for four years and not providing you with a service that you're paying for. Mm. And I started to ask this question based on that response to my current clients. And I found that with some of the clients. It's, you know, some of these things haven't been ironed out yet, and we, we think it's going to work this way or that way. And I'm just appalled that there isn't a lot of – there isn't always a lot of due diligence in that respect. It's like if you're going to write the check, that does not absolve you of the responsibility of the activity that you're asking that vendor to perform. Of course not. At the end of the day, the airline, the airport, the business entity is still responsible for the task that has to be performed. So you have to get um, – you have to get prepared, right. if you will. And the more you let time go by, the less likely that's going to happen. So right. it's, it's just a huge pet peeve. You you mentioned in the last segment that you do, you never really want to play the blame game. But when you have a situation like this set mm. up, it seems inevitable. Somebody mm-hmm. will will be at the end of that. You know, right. they're, they're, Somebody is going to be at the end of it. And it's like we said at the very beginning of this, is it, at the beginning of this episode, the rant and rave episode. Yeah, rant and rave edition. People aren't going to write. This is where that, that comment about the EOC comes into play. Because the media is never going to talk about you know, how well you set up your EOC, but they are going to talk about if it took 30 minutes or 60 minutes for a family member to get a hold of you, the airline or company, whoever it is that has a crisis, at your telephone inquiry center, at that toll-free number that you published. Uh, or if you have a vendor that helps you with environmental cleanup and they don't do a good job, you can't blame the environmental cleanup company. You're the one that hired them. It's still going to come back to you. If your personal effects vendor doesn't do what you want them to do, Yes, they are the vendor, but you're the one writing the check, and you have that stakeholder responsibility to make sure that you're getting the services that you want. So it's important for any entity to work with, not just write a check, to work with those vendors and make sure that those T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. Absolutely. In any well, well-oiled machine, you're going to need oil, and you need a steady supply of it. And it sounds like there are just people there who aren't that good at you know doing it so, well, yeah. no I, I, and and you're right and sometimes we don't ask the question why enough and there may be some folks that are listening that say you know hey look this is all pretty basic and i get it but you'd be very surprised at the number of people that haven't delved this far down and their plan they haven't drilled it that far down they haven't asked the questions as far down the 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 causality or tree that they need to to ask, right. to really cross those T's and dot their I's. And to reiterate, this does not apply to everybody. It doesn't. Just it in doesn't. some places, sometimes things happen. It doesn't. It's not unique just to airlines or airports. It's to anybody that has any kind of crisis response plan. Have you really looked at your plan from a holistic response to make sure from a 360-degree view, you've covered all your bases? Just an important question to ask. Well, Zach, it's been a pleasure um, working with you today for episode 11. Um, I'm looking forward to more episodes together. I hope this is uh, the last rant and rave tour <laughs> that we're going to have. You know, I'm a little split on it. I hope so at the same time. You know, I enjoy this. So thanks for having me. Well, on. thank you. I, mean, I enjoy getting some things off my chest. But on a serious note, I offer to anyone listening, if you need assistance 
in really examining your plan and taking it to that extra level, please feel free to reach out to me at kenjenkinsllc.com. That's www.kenjenkinsllc.com, and I'll be happy to help you. Thank you for joining us on episode 11 of The Black Box with Ken Jenkins. See you next time. Until then, be safe.